Chapter Twenty Nine, Part Two of the Heir of Redcliffe by Charlotte Young. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Heir of Redcliffe by Charlotte Young. Chapter Twenty Nine, Part Two. Amabel slept and awakened to the knowledge that it was her wedding day. She was not to appear at the first breakfast, but she came to meet Charles in the dressing-room, and as they sat together on the sofa, where they had watched and amused so many of his hours of helplessness, he clasped around her arm his gift, a bracelet of his mother's hair. His fingers trembled and his eyes were hazy, but he would not let her help him. Her thanks were obliged to be all kisses. No words would come but, Charlie, Charlie, how could I ever have promised to leave you? Nonsense! Whoever dreamt that my sisters were to be three monkeys tied to a dog? It was impossible not to smile, though it was but for a moment. Charles's mirth was melancholy. And, dear Charlie, you will not miss me so very much. Do pray let Charlotte wait upon you. After the first, perhaps, I may not hate her. Oh, Amy, I little knew what I was doing when I tried to get him back again for you. I was sawing off the bough I was sitting on. But there, I will not flatter you. You've had enough to turn your head of yours. Stand up and let me take a survey. Very pretty, I declare. You do my education credit. There, if it will be for your peace, I'll do my best to wear on without you. I wanted a brother all my life, and you are giving me the very one I would have picked out of a thousand, the only one I could forgive for presuming to steal you, Amy. Here he is. Come in he added, as Guy knocked at his door to offer to help him downstairs. Guy hardly spoke, and Amy could not look in his face. It was late, and he took down Charles at once. After this, she had very little quiet. Everyone was buzzing about her and putting the last touches to her dress. At last, just as she was quite finished, Charlotte exclaimed, "'Oh, there is Guy's step. May I call him in to have one look?' Mrs. Edmonstone did not say no, and Charlotte— opening the dressing-room door, called to him. He stood opposite to Amy for some moments, then said with a smile, I was wrong about the grogram. I would not for anything see you look otherwise than you do. It seemed to Mrs. Edmonstone and Laura that these words made them lose sight of the details of lace and silk that had been occupying them, so that they only saw the radiance, purity, and innocence of Amy's bridal appearance. No more was said, for Mr. Edmonstone ran up to call Guy, who was to drive Charles in the pony carriage. Amabel, of course, went with her parents. Poor child! Her tears flowed freely on the way, and Mr. Edmonstone, now that it had really come to the point of parting with his little Amy, was very much overcome, while his wife, hardly refraining from tears, could only hold her daughter's hand very close. The regular morning service was a great comfort by restoring their tranquillity, and by the time it was ended, Amabel's countenance had settled into its own calm expression of trust and serenity. She scarcely even trembled when her father led her forward. Her hand did not shake, and her voice, though very low, was firm and audible, while Guy's deep, sweet tones had a sort of thrill and quiver of intense feeling. No one could help observing that Laura was the most agitated person present. She trembled so much that she was obliged to lean on Charlotte, and her tears gave the infection to the other bridesmaids. 
all but mary ross who could never cry when other people did and little marianne who did nothing but look and wonder mary was feeling a great deal both of compassion for the bereaved family and of affectionate admiring joy for the young pair who knelt before the altar it was a showery day with gleams of vivid sunshine and one of these suddenly broke forth casting a stream of colour from a martyr's figure in the south window so as to shed a golden glory on the wave of brown hair over guy's forehead then passing on and tinting the bride's white veil with a deep shade of crimson and purple either that golden light or the expression of the face on which it beamed made mary think of the lines where is the brow to wear in the mortal's sight the crown of pure angelic light charles stood with his head leaning against a pillar as if he could not bear to look up mr edmonstone was restless and almost sobbing mrs edmonstone alone collected though much flushed and somewhat trembling while the only person apparently free from excitement was the little bride and there she knelt her hand clasped in his her head bent down her modest steadfast face looking as if she was only conscious of the vow she exchanged the blessing she received and was as it were lifted out of herself it was over now the feast in its fullest sense was held and the richest of blessings had been called down on them the procession came out of the vestry in full colour and very pretty it was the bride and bridegroom and the fresh bright graciousness of their extreme youth and the six bridesmaids following laura and lady eveline two strikingly handsome and elegant girls charlotte with the pretty little fair marianne mary ross and grace harper the village people who stood round might well say that such a sight as that was worth coming twenty miles to see the first care after the bridal pair was driven off was to put charles into his pony carriage charlotte who had just pinned on his favour begged to drive him for she meant to take him her especial charge and to succeed to all amy's rights mrs edmonstone asked whether laura would not prefer going with him but she hastily answered no thank you let charlotte for with her troubled feelings she could better answer talking girls than parry the remarks of her shrewd observant brother some one said it would rain but charlotte still pleaded earnestly come on then puss said charles rallying her spirits only don't upset me or it will spoil their tour charlotte drove off with elaborate care then came a deep sigh and she exclaimed well he is our brother and all is safe yes said charles no more fears for them had you any i'm very glad if you had why because it was all so like a book i had a sort of feeling all the time that philip would come in quite grand and terrible as if he must act ogre i'm not sure that i had not something of the same notion that he might appear suddenly and forbid the bands entirely for amy's sake and as the greatest kindness to her oh however he can't separate them now let him do his worst and while amy is guy's wife i don't think we shall easily be made to quarrel i'm glad the knot is tied for i had a fatality notion that the feud was so strong that it was nearly a case of the mountains bending and the streams ascending ere she was to be foeman's bride no said charlotte it ought to be like that story of rosara and her kindred don't you remember the fate would not be appeased by the marriage till count julius had saved the life of one of the hostile race that would be it perhaps they will meet abroad and guy will do it that won't do philip will never endanger his precious life nor ever forgive guy the obligation 
well i suppose there never was a prettier wedding how silly of me to say so i shall be sick of hearing it before to-night i do wish all these people were gone i didn't know it would be so horrid i should like to shut myself up and cry and think what i could ever do to wait on you indeed charlie i know i never can be like amy but if you be anything but sentimental i don't want to make a fool of myself said charles with a smile and tone as if he was speaking sorrow at bay depend on it if we were left to ourselves this evening we should be so desperately savage that we should quarrel furiously and there would be no amy to set us to rights how aunt charlotte did cry what a funny little woman she is yes i see now who you take after puss you'll be just like her when you are her age so i mean to be i mean to stay and care for you all my life as she does of grandmamma you do do you yes i never mean to marry it's so disagreeable oh dear but how lovely dear amy did look here's the rain exclaimed charles as some large drops began to fall in good time to prevent them from being either savage or sentimental though at the expense of charlotte's pink and white for they had no umbrella and she would not accept a share of charles's carriage cloak she laughed and drove on fast through the short cut and arrived at the house door just as the pelting hail was over having battered her thin sleeves and made her white bonnet look very deplorable the first thing they saw was guy with bustle close to him for bustle had found out that something was going on that concerned his master and followed him about more assiduously than ever as if sensible of decree that he was to be left behind to charlotte's care charlotte how wet you are never mind charlie's that she sprang out holding his hand and felt as if he could never forget that moment when her new brother first kissed her brow where's amy here and while guy lifted charles out charlotte was clasped in her sister's arms are you wet charlie no charlotte would not be wise and let me keep the cloak to myself you are wet through poor child come up at once and change said amy flying nimbly up the stairs up even to charlotte's own room the old nursery and there she was unfastening the drenched finery oh amy don't do all this let me ring no the servants are either not come home or are too busy charles won't want me he has guy can i find your white frock? oh but amy let me see charlotte made prisoner the left hand and looked up with an arch smile at the face which she had called up a blush lady moreville must not begin by being lady's maid let me let me charlotte dear i shan't be able to do anything for you this long time amy's voice trembled and charlotte held her fast to kiss her again we must make haste said amy recovering herself there are the carriages while the frock was being fastened charlotte looked into the prayer book amy had laid down there was the name amabel francis moreville and the date has he just written it said charlotte yes when we came home oh amy dear dear amy i don't know whether i'm glad or sorry i believe i am both said amy at that moment mrs edmund stone and laura hastened in then was the time for broken words tears and smiles as amy leant against her mother who locked her in a close embrace and gazed on her in a sort of trance at once of maternal pride and of pain at giving up her cherished nestling poor laura how bitter were her tears and how forced her smiles far unlike the rest 
no one could care to hear the details of the breakfast and the splendors of the cake how charlotte recovered her spirits while distributing the favors and lady eveline set up a flirtation with markham and forced him into wearing one though he protested with many a grunt that she make a queer fool of him how often charles was obliged to hear it been a pretty wedding and how well lord kilcorn made his speech proposing the health of sir guy and lady morville all the time laura was active and useful feeling as if she was acting a play sustaining the character of miss edmonstone the bridesmaid at her sister's happy marriage while the true laura philip's laura was lonely dejected wretched half fearing for her sister half jealous of her happiness forced into pageantry with an aching heart with only one wish that it was over that she might be again alone with her burden she was glad when her mother rose and the ladies moved into the drawing-room glad to escape from eveline's quick eye and to avoid mary's clear sense glad to talk to comparative strangers glad of the occupation of going to prepare amabel for her journey this lasted a long time there was so much to be said and hearts were so full and amy over again explained to charlotte how to perform all the little services to charles which she relinquished while her mother had so many affectionate last words and every now and then stopped short to look at her little daughter saying she did not know if it was not a dream at length amabel was dressed in her purple and white shot silk her muslin mantle and white bonnet mrs edmonstone left her and laura to have a few words together and went to the dressing-room there she found guy leaning on the mantel-shelf as he used to do when he brought her his troubles to her he started as she entered ought i not be here he said i could not help coming once more this room has always been the kernel of my home my happiness here indeed it has been a very great pleasure to have you here you have been very kind to me he proceeded in a low reflecting tone you have helped me very much very often even when do you remember the day i begged you to keep me in order as if i were charles i did not think then he was silent and then mrs edmonstone little able to fine words smiling tried to say i little thought how truly and how gladly i should be able to call you my own son and ended by giving him a mother's kiss i wish i could tell you half said guy half what i feel for kindness that made a home to one who had no right to any coming as a stranger i found we found one to love with all our hearts said miss edmonstone i have often looked back and seen that you have brought a brightness to us all especially to poor charles yes it dates from your coming and i can only wish and trust guy that the same brightness will rest on your own home there must be a brightness where she is said guy i need not tell you to take care of her said mrs edmonstone smiling i think i can trust you but i feel rather as i did when first i met her, sent her and laura to a party of pleasure by themselves laura at this moment came in alone with amy she could not speak she could only cry and fearful of distressing her sister she came away but here with guy it was worse for it was unkind not to speak one warm word to him yet what could she say he spoke first laura you must get up your looks again now this turmoil is over don't do too much mathematics and wear yourself down to a shadow laura gave her sad forced smile will you do one thing for me laura i should like to have one of your perspective views on the inside of the church would it be too troublesome to do oh no i shall be very glad don't set about it till you quite like it 
and have plenty of time. Thank you. I shall think it is a proof that you can forgive me for all the pain I am causing you. I am very sorry. You're so very kind, said Laura, bursting into tears, and as her mother was gone, she could not help adding, but don't try to comfort me, Guy. Don't blame yourself. Tisn't only that, but I am so very, very unhappy. Amy told me you were grieved for Philip. I wish I could help it, Laura. I want to try and meet him in Switzerland, and if we can, perhaps it may be set right. At any rate, he will be glad to know you see the rights of it. Laura wept still more, but she could never again lose the sisterly feeling those kind words had awakened, if Philip had but known what he missed. Charlotte ran in. Oh, I'm glad to find you here, Guy. I wanted to put you in mind of your promise. You must write me the first letter you sign, your affectionate brother. I won't forget, Charlotte. Guy, where's Guy? called Mr. Edmundstone. The rain's coming off. You must come down, both of you, or you'll be too late. Mrs. Edmundstone hastened to call Amabel. Those moments that she had been alone, Amabel had been kneeling in an earnest supplication that all might be forgiven that she had done amiss in the home of her childhood, that the blessings might be sealed on her and her husband, and that she might go forth from her father's house in strength sent from above. Her mother summoned her. She rose, came calmly forth, met Guy at the head of the stairs, put her arm in his, and they went down. Charles was on the sofa in the ante-room, talking fast and striving for high spirits. "'Amy, woman, you do us credit. Well, write soon, and don't break your heart for want of me.' There was a confusion of goodbyes, and then all came out to the hall door, even Charles with Charlotte's arm. One more of those fast-locked embraces between the brother and sister, and Mr. Edmundstone put Amabel into the carriage— Goodbye, goodbye, my own dearest little one. Bless you, bless you, and may you be as happy as a Mayflower. Guy, goodbye. I've given you the best I had to give, and tis you are that are welcome to her. Take care at what you do with her, for she's a precious little jewel. Goodbye, my boy. Guy's face and grasping hand were the reply. As he was about to spring into the carriage, he turned again. Charlotte! I have shut Bustle up in my room. Will you let him out in half an hour? I've explained it all to him, and he'll be very good. Good-bye. I'll take care of him. I'll mention him in every letter. And mark in mind, if our house is not ready by Michael Mass, we shall be obliged to come stay with you. Grunt. Lastly, as if he could not help it, Guy dashed up the step once more, pressed Charles's hand, and said, God bless you, Charlie. In an instant, he was beside Amabel, and they drove off, Amabel leaning forward and gazing wistfully at her mother and Charles till she was startled by a long cluster of laburnums, their yellow bloom bent down and heavy with wet, so that the ends dashed against her bonnet and the crystal drops fell on her lap. Why, Amy, the Hollywell flowers are weeping for the loss of you. She gave a sweet sunny smile through her tears. At that moment they came beyond the thick, embowering shrubs, while full before them was the dark, receding cloud on which the sunbeams were painting a wide-spanned rainbow. The semicircle was perfect, and full before them, like an arch of triumph under which they were to pass. How beautiful! broke from them both. Guy, said the bride, after a few minutes had faded the rainbow and turned them from its sight, shall I tell you what I was thinking? I was thinking that if there is a doom on us, I'm not afraid, if it will only bring a rainbow. The rainbow will come after, if not with it, said Guy. End of chapter 29, part 2